All right, folks. So, nope, that's not how I want to start. <laughs> <laughs> I totally get that. I podcast too, so don't even worry about it. <laughs> Let's try this again. This is Existential, the podcast that reminds us that we're human first before we're anything else. And from that place, we can hear each other's stories and experiences as we wrestle with issues of justice, faith, and culture. I'm your host, Corey Leak. Thanks for listening. Hey, folks. Today, I am here with Kat Armis, who is a fascinating person. She's a writer. Uh, she's wife. She is a uh, getting a double major right now from Fuller Theological Seminary, which is insane to me. Um, and <laughs> she is one of the people who I have followed over the last several years who has restored my faith in the Christian tradition because she thinks so deeply about her faith, thinks deeply about Christianity. And so I'm just really, really glad, Kat, that you're here with us on Existential. So thanks for being on the show today. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. Yeah. So the, is there anything that like you would say it's important that the audience know besides anything that I just said about like, you know, who you are and, and what you're up to that like would help them have context for the, the things that you, you're going to say during this conversation? Yeah. So um, I think I think one of the main things is what you mentioned is that I am finishing up a double double master's uh, in theology and master of divinity. And that is a lot of what I speak from, like the place where I speak from is just a lot of what I'm learning, um, deconstructing, reconstructing, decolonizing. And I, I say decolonizing because I am Cuban American. And so I am, I was born and raised in Miami in a very, you know, I mean, that's where the Super Bowl was held. <laughs> so, um, right. so it's, yeah, you know, yeah. they call it like yeah. the capital of Latin America or whatever in the U.S. Um, and so I was raised there in a very, very Latino context. And then when I moved out of that is when, you know, everything just kind of hit me in the face <laughs> when I left my little Latino mm. bubble. Um, so that's really where I'm sort of the background of where I'm making sense of everything. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So you used three words that I want to like, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about. And the first one is this word that is become a buzzword for people. And it's this, the word deconstruction. Um, a lot of people have talked about deconstructing their faith, talked about going through deconstruction. And, and, and I, I guess we kind of all have a different meaning for what we mean when we say that. So when you talk about deconstructing your faith, uh, what has that meant for you? What are some of the things that have changed? What are some of the things that you have reevaluated as you've gone on in your studies? Yeah, so I particularly tie deconstruction, uh, at least for me, to decolonizing. Um, and so that's kind of like, for me, they, mm, yeah, they, okay. they really go hand in hand. And that all kind of started for me when, um, so I actually started at a Southern, Southern Baptist Seminary which is really right. interesting. Yeah. And I was like one of the only Latinas there. Um, and I was brand new to like Protestantism. Like I wasn't, um, I grew up Catholic, so I didn't, you know, all the, I didn't know much about denominations. So I ended up there and I had no idea <laughs> where I was or why. <laughs> so you got tricked. You got tricked. Is what <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All um, right. 
Yeah. So, so it wasn't until, you know, I, I was experiencing a lot in that context. It was a lot as it pertains to white evangelicalism and fundamentalism and all those things. So when I finally decided to, you know, leave that context and, and move on to a new one and I started, I was given the, the opportunity to start exploring theology and start exploring, um, yeah, just like, uh, forms of theology and ways of thinking that aren't the dominant way of thinking or the dominant theological mm. train of thought, you know? And so I got into Mujerista theology and Latino, Latino theology, liberation theology, and all these things. And, you know, as I was doing all of my research and, and I've talked about this, I've written about this, but I experienced this like deep research grief. Um, you know, the more that I was oh, like wow. digging through and, and it was p- particularly a paper that I wrote on women in Cuba. And, um, and I obviously mm. decided Cuba because that's where my family's from. And so uh, I, you know, just reading about what they did to the indigenous people and the way that women were raped and the way that women, you know, were murdered. Wow. And, and it was all in the name of Jesus, right? <laughs> a, lot of, right. a lot of these right, were Spanish right, right, missionaries. Right. And so wow. that's kind of where that journey started. And so my deconstruction was coupled with my decolonizing because I was like, well, if this is the faith that was passed down, um, you know, to my ancestors and my grandmother was a devout Catholic, you know, um, she, she has dementia now and she's really old, but throughout her whole life, she was a devout Catholic. And what was the Catholicism that was uh, passed down to her, right? A lot of my mm. family, my extended family, um, you know, they're Christians and they're, they're very much, you know, um, very fundamentalist type Christians who hold on to a wow. very particular aspect of faith. And it's so confusing to me, right? Because I'm like, well, you're, you're people of color, but you know, you, you deny so much of that. And so a lot of mm. that has been just making sense of that and, and understanding what has been passed down and where, what, how have they gotten to this point, you know? And so for me, that is um, a decolonizing understanding you know, the roots of Christianity, the roots of even Catholicism in many ways, the roots of missionary endeavors, you know, in back in the 16, 1700. Um, so yeah, so that's, for me, deconstruction is a coupling of decolonizing. So I have like 47 questions off of what you just said, <laughs> and I'm going to try to like just grab one that's like most interesting to me right now. But like, I guess for me, when I hear you say that, I think about how once I began to learn the history of Christian faith, certainly in America, like things like the fact that the slave Bible had Exodus removed and other ideas about liberation removed so that slaves didn't get any ideas about God wanting them to be free. And I I see here things like that and learn things like that. And it becomes very challenging for me to not have major questions about how the Christian faith is, has been passed down for generation to generation. So how have you navigated that and stayed in pursuit of God and in pursuit of divinity and goodness and, and all of the, the good things about the Christian faith, despite the fact that there's these awful atrocities done in the name of Jesus to your ancestors. Right, right. Now that's a great question. So my passion or my focus, and even before I began the, you know, the decolonizing journey um, was biblical studies. I was so interested in this book that, you know, I mean, I remember when I um, first started my journey of Protestantism and evangelicalism, uh, I, 
I, you know, I would legitimately sit there and read the Bible and I would weep, you know, and I didn't know what I was reading. I didn't understand much of it. Um, but a lot of it did make sense to me. I remember the book I did that with was the book of James, you know, and just reading how our tongue can can be such a horrific weapon. And, you know, those are true things. And so I just remember weeping. And and so I was so interested in, in the Bible. I was so interested in what so many people were saying about it. And I came to Protestantism, uh, evangelicalism as an adult. And so I think it was a little bit different. I, I didn't, you know... Mm. There wasn't things that I was like, quote unquote, forced to believe when I was a kid. Um, My parent, my mom, I was raised with a single mom for a majority of my life. And she gave me freedom to really believe whatever I want, do whatever I want, um, which I'm really thankful for. And so when I came to it as an adult, I was able to kind of, you know, look at it um, with, you know, with with all of my adult thoughts and, and, you know, and and be able yeah yeah, to critique it and and think, hey, what, what does this mean or what does this come from? And so I really... I really did. Um, I was so intrigued by it. I was intrigued by the stories. I was intrigued by how much of it I believed did make sense. And then I was intrigued by the parts of it that didn't. Like why, you know, why are we, for example, in the Old Testament, something as simple as um, polygamy, you know, like that was perfectly mm, normal. Yeah. And so how did yeah. we get from there to here? Why isn't that normal now? You know, things like that. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, so I just really... Um, I was just really interested in it. And so I began, um, I began learning Greek, you know, in seminary, of course. And, Mm. and then I started taking exegesis classes. And the first one, the first exegesis class I took was a parables of Jesus. And I mean, that really opened my eyes, just understanding what the heck Jesus meant in so many of his parables and how we've been taught. Right. I mean, they're literally riddles half the time, you know, and, but yet we're not, or, you know, the, the lay Christian or churches, we're not giving people the tools to really understand these riddles. We're just saying, right. oh, yeah, well, this is what it means. Like, we're not giving people the opportunity to debate and think and wrestle. And, you know, um, we just want to give people a quick answer. Why do you think that is? Why do you think it is that, like, because that, that's a question I've had for a long time. And certainly when I started to, like, really read for myself and, and do a deep dive into some theology and scholarly work, I started to have this question that you sort of touched on just now is like, why is it that there are so many churches and leaders and pastors that aren't sharing these things? Why is it that you have to go to seminary to find out about the riddles of Jesus and and what Jesus was actually trying to do with these stories? Like, why, why do you think that that's the case? Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, I mean, I think that all <laughs> there's so many things I could, or so, so many places this could go. But I just the the I guess just the most basic and the most baseline reason I would say is just because of that whole what I was saying earlier that what has been passed down. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. there have been people who have held on to these stories and has benefited them. Like, just like you said, right, the slave Bible, they removed the story of Exodus. And so that sort of thing, like that's generational, like that is passed down and passed Mm -hmm. down and passed down. And so there's just this, I I mean, I believe like this just generational stronghold on interpretation Mm -hmm. and on, you know, things Mm -hmm. of of that nature. I am, I was actually just having a conversation with with a young girl that she was in, um, her, you know, I used to mentor her or whatever in, in when she was in high school. And so, you know, I've since left that world, but she's very much still in it. And she mentioned something that uh, when we spoke and she said, you know, I dislike the word interpretation because there's no such thing as interpretation. There's just truth. Wow. And I said, wow. <laughs> like that, you know. 
And it's crazy because I'm sure I used to believe that, you know, now I'm like, oh my, how could you, you know, Um, (laughs) but at some point, you know, I probably said things that are similar. And I think that that, even that is a past down sort of, and who's holding on to what is quote unquote, that truth. Well, just Mm. the people that you're reading, right? (laughs) Like the people that she's reading, exactly. you know, and who told them that the people, you know, and of course it's been those who are holding on to um, the interpretation that has just unfortunately been white theology, white evangelicalism, the white missionaries that have come and, you know, so, um, and, and, and to go beyond the, the, well, not to go beyond whiteness because whiteness is tied to power, but it is, yeah, it's just a, a holding on to power in a, in a continuum. Because if you hold on to power and you say this is what's true, then you can force that upon anyone. Yeah, I mean, for sure. To the indigenous people, you know, um, slaves. So so that's just yeah. sort of my, my little 30-second <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for sharing that because I think, <laughs> I think that's important to say. And I think, like, there's so many folks out there that will say things. And I, and I really do appreciate that you have, I can just already tell you have such grace for people. Um, and recognizing your own journey. And because when you talked about uh, the young woman that said there's no such thing as interpretation, there's just truth, and you attached yourself to once holding that belief, I think oftentimes we, as we progress in our journeys of faith or justice or social whatever, we forget that we were once in another place. We once understood things differently. We had like different thoughts and we shared some of those beliefs that people, you know, that people have had. So right. it's really cool that you had that kind of like self-awareness and, and compassion to like, just be like, I'm not going to demonize you for thinking and believing something that I once did also. But I do also find it so interesting, I guess. And dare I say frustrating, maybe I'm not as graceful as you are <laughs> when people have like, no, this, it's okay. This, frustrating. Yes. This very dogmatic approach to scripture, um, to the Bible, to the Christian faith. And when they, there are lots of folks that will say, I don't, there's no interpretation. There's just what the Bible says. We just need to take the Bible for what it says and not add anything else to it. So like, would you say that you, um, you know, you said you grew up Catholic. Would you say that, that Catholicism is still a part of your experience or your lens with which you view faith? Or, or would you say that like you've kind of moved to, to Protestantism and that's like, those are two different parts of your life. Uh, oh, that's so good. So I, that's something that I have been reconciling in the past few years, um, mainly because, you know, when I began my journey of Protestantism, you know, I was told, oh, you know, I, or I was told these narratives that Catholics aren't saved because right. they quote unquote worship the saints or right, right. which they don't worship <laughs> the saints, but um, yeah, it's, it's just, just dumb not... stuff that people say who don't know. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Um, or yeah, or just, I remember believing that like my grandmother, like just like praying for her salvation when mind you, this woman was like dedicated to the church her entire life. Mm. And here I am, mm. you know, praying mm. that, that she go to heaven, you know, <laughs> which is just so ridiculous. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So the past few years I have been on that journey of, of understanding that my Catholic background, that my Catholic roots, um, is a part of my faith journey is mm-hmm. a part of who I am. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I talk about, and this is even something. So I recently, so I've been going to an Episcopalian church and, and mainly because of that connection to mm-hmm. uh, my Catholicism, it's mm-hmm. been so wonderful to be able to kind of connect the, the high church, the liturgy, um, 
and, and this, even the saints uh, and, and connect that with my Protestant sort of beliefs. And so one of the things that we um, were able to, to do recently was celebrate, you know, Dia de los Muertos or um, All Saints Day. And we're mm. able to celebrate this idea of connecting with our ancestors. And I think so much about my grandmother and her faith in that. I mean, she's still alive, um, but it's this idea that um, it's all passed down. It's all connected. You know, if we believe that we are or that humans are connected with one another, if we believe in what Hebrews talks about, you know, the cloud yeah. of witnesses, yeah. then we should be looking to um, not, not just our ancestors, but who came before us, who passed down what to us, you know? I've been looking a lot into just the idea of generational trauma, you know, mm. Um, mm. what so many African-Americans have gone through, Gener you know, so many, I mean, we hold this trauma in our bodies and we don't even know, mm. you know, so many, uh, what my ancestors went through fleeing political, um, you know, unrest in Cuba mm -hmm. and all of this trauma that I may not think about on a daily basis, but I'm holding on to it. I'm it's, it's, you know, it's, it's yeah. weighty on my back. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, so I think of that in the same way as faith. You know, I think of that, you know, what has been passed down, what has been um, it just what's that trail that has been, you know, in my my family history or in just my history as a Cuban person in mm -hmm. general. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And, and I like I read I read your article where you talked about uh, ancestors and I, and I wanted to talk to you specifically about that. So I'm glad you said that, because I. So last well, last week, a week ago, Kobe Bryant died, and I was down in SoCal mm -hmm. when it happened. And one of the things that I noticed was there was a lot of um, Latino people that were like putting the the skulls like uh, by you know mm -hmm. and, and these vigils, and and I thought to myself, there's something about Latin culture and death that's really beautiful and like mm -hmm. spiritual that I don't quite understand. And I looked at your article and like thought about this idea of the ancestors and, and remembering those who have gone on before us. Mm -hmm. And 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 I just found that there was something really beautiful about honoring the dead and their memory. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and so, like, when you talk about the ancestors and you and, and you've connected it to Hebrews, which I think is awesome. Um, I, I was really fascinated by that. So could you talk just a little bit more about this idea of those who have gone on before us? our ancestors and I, this this idea you just brought up about carrying generational trauma in our bodies like there's so much more to unpack there like i just i just want to hear you talk about that because like i'm i'm yeah. really intrigued yeah, yeah yeah so um so i'll talk about the sort of what sparked my my thoughts on this uh ancestors and and all of that and so like i said my focus has been biblical studies and and i'll say a little bit more about that in that um i I do believe that the Bible is a liberating text. Mm -hmm. I think that um, the Bible can be a liberating text, just how the Bible can be an oppressive text. I think that mm -hmm. the Bible can be whatever you want it to be. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's literally mm -hmm. just so much in there that it can be anything. Um, and so I, I'm so fascinated by um, you know the life of Jesus, and I'm so fascinated by the stories of Jesus and the stories that he shared, and how Jesus was all about. Um, liberation between people, nations, um, whether it's liberation from um, some sort of illness that's killing someone or it's liberation mm. from an, mm. an empire um, mm. that's oppressing, um, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. liberating the poor from being poor or um, just liberating people from right. sin. I mean, just, right. <laughs> just right. in general, just liberation. So 
anyway, so my journey of really studying the Bible is trying to see it through this lens. Like what, you know, how does, how do the poor, how do um, those who are marginalized, those who are oppressed, how do they understand this text? What do they read in this text? Mm. Because it has been carried out in marginalized communities. You know, I, I've read that, um, I once read someone, and I can't remember where, and I've looked for it, but it, it was like a, a meme or quote or a tweet or a Facebook, something that said, um, you know, don't disrespect your grandmother's Jesus because your grandmother's oh, wow. Jesus is what carried her through. Damn. And I'm currently taking a class on, on Martin Luther, on uh, Martin Luther King, on uh, the ethics of MLK. And that's something that we talk about a lot is like, you know, what was passed down for MLK and, and what was it about his grandmother's faith that, you know, it kept them, had, you know, kept their strength, their dignity yeah. throughout this oppressive time. Um, and so when I think about, you know, my, my grandmother's faith, when I think about the faith of my ancestors, and my, you know, it's not, it wasn't perfect faith. I mean, um, you know, there are very, very many po- problematic things about Catholicism, just like evangelicalism. Um, it's very patriarchal. Um, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's very, you know, it can be oppressive in, in, in many ways. Um, but what can I understand about my grandmother's faith um, to make me understand her, to make me understand um just being a woman of color and, and mm-hmm. coming to this country and what she went through, like there was something about her faith that kept her going. Right. Yeah. Um, and so in my decolonizing, I want to make sure to, to not quote unquote disrespect my grandmother's Jesus um, and, mm-hmm. and critique it. I can critique my grandmother's Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, but to, to understand there was something about my grandmother's Jesus that, that just gave her strength. Um, so anyway, I, I say all that to say that in my journey of understanding my ancestors, I think about that a lot. I think about, um, you know, MLK's, you know, grandmother, I think a lot about, you know, Howard Thurman, he talks about his grandmother um, in, in mm. his book, Jesus and the Disinherited, which I just read. And he talks about how his grandmother, I mean, she was, she was tough and, and she would sit around a group of men and say like, you know, you are not slaves, like you are children of God. And wow. she would, you know, yell at them. And so I think about that, you know, the oh. power in that. Yeah. And, um, and so when I, uh, yeah, as I was thinking about this, I came across a, a, a verse that is, I feel like is very easily overlooked. And it is um, in one of Paul's letters is Paul's letter to Timothy. And uh, he, which, you know, that in itself, people, (laughs) people hate Paul's letters to Timothy. (laughs) But in the beginning, verses one through seven, and I'll read it. He says, I'm grateful to God whom I serve with a good conscience, conscience as my ancestors did. Mm. I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. When I remember your tears, I long to see you so that I can be filled with happiness. And then he says, I'm reminded of your authentic faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. I'm wow. sure that this faith is also in you. Wow. So it's like Paul's like setting up this entire letter and saying like, hey, this faith, this was passed down from your ancestors. And, and he says it about himself. This was passed down. I'm grateful to God whom I served as my ancestors did. And then he says, this faith lived in your grandmother and your mother. And to me, that is such a powerful verse and no one ever talks about it. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is such a powerful verse. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's rich. And so I think that, right. And and so for me, you know, thinking about, you know, I've been, I do a lot of work in Abuelita theology, grandmother theology. And it's that idea that, you know, that faith that was in Timothy, that, you know, was a the faith that Paul talks about, um, you know, the, the Bible was written by men for men. And so, of course, they're not going to um, tease that out. And But I want to. I want to tease that out. You know, I want to think about what does that mean that Timothy had this faith from his grandmother and, and his mother? 
Um, and what does that mean for me? What does that mean for all of us? Right. Um, because our faith came from somewhere and, um, and, and yeah. And I think that that, that's a huge, a huge thing that we should, should keep in mind. Yeah. So you, you earlier said decolonization, deconstruction and reconstruction. So what is, people don't often talk about reconstruction and what that means and what that looks like. So as you reconstruct your faith, what are the things that you use to do that? What, like, what holds it together now? I mean, I'd imagine ancestors is one of those things, but what else is like a, a part of the putting the thing back together for you? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, well, for me, I, I'm just going to go back to finding liberation within the Bible. I think that um, mm. because the Bible, mm. it's not going anywhere, you know, right. <laughs> Christians are, I mean, it's been around forever. And like I said, it's been used in atrocious ways and wonderful ways. And, um, and so for me, reconstruction, it has been understanding the text for what it is, reading it responsibly. You know, I tweeted this recently, like uh, reading the Bible holistically and responsibly led me to deconstruction and then continuing to do that led me to reconstruction. Mm. Um, because I do think that there is, there is so much, so much beauty and so much to glean from the Bible. And the reason I say that is because, you know, the Bible was written by a lot of different people yeah. within a lot of different periods and they had a lot of different opinions. Yeah. I mean, people within the Bible, they don't always agree with each exactly. other, exactly. you know, in, yeah, in their sure. opinions. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that, right. And that shouldn't necessarily make us, I mean, I, you know, I remember I said this once, like the Bible contradicts itself. And, and someone was like, what do you mean by that? And I'm like, I mean, just read it. Exactly. It <laughs> like, absolutely does. For sure. And it doesn't take away from like, I don't think it takes away from the sacred. And I think it's sacred text. I don't think, think it takes away from the sacredness of it. I don't think that takes away. I think that that just adds to it. I think the fact that like uh, an example you know, Proverbs 26, 4 says, don't answer a fool according to his folly or you'll be just like him. Mm -hmm. Literally the very next verse, Proverbs 26, 5 says, answer a fool according to his folly or he'll be wise in his own eyes. <laughs> like for you to, you know, all you have to do is right just there. read the book of Proverbs sure. and you know, yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you just throw it out. And unfortunately, you know, many fundamentalists have simplified the Bible to that. You know, if, mm -hmm. if you can't, you know, if it, if it does, if it contradicts itself, then it right. doesn't mean anything. Not I'm like, well, that's and, such and infallible, a... all these things. Yeah. These, right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a small and, oh, just a weak view of the Bible. Oh my gosh. How can you say that the Bible is like this powerful thing? If you think it's that weak, you know, and, yeah. and that easily destroyed or whatever, yeah. you know, easily. Um, so anyway, and I think that the beauty about understanding the Bible is understanding the context that it was written, understanding, you know, like, for example, you read the book of Amos and, and it's, it's the prophet Amos. He's literally talking about so much of the same things that is going on right now. I mean, he's talking about um, distribution of wealth and power. Mm -hmm. And he's mm -hmm. like, th that's the message of so many of the prophets. And, and, you know, you're exploiting the poor and you're doing this and you're doing that. And something that Amos talks about that I think is incredible is that he even talks about, um, the laziness or like the indifference of, of nations. Oh, you know, you're, yeah, you say that you care about the poor, but really you don't, you're, yeah. you're really indifferent. And yeah. I think that that is, you know, and so I think, um, to answer your question about reconstruction, I think it's really 
having a holistic and a responsible reading of scripture, understanding that um, it's contextual, obviously, I know that's like, you know, an overused thing to say, but it's true, you know, just like Proverbs is a reminder that wisdom is situational. I mean, so many Mm. things in the Bible are situational. I mean, Mm. you read about how, um, for example, how in the the story of Naomi and Ruth, I mean, they use like manipulation and sex to get what they wanted. Right, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And we don't talk about that. Very game of Thrones. Or we, you know, there's some. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Yeah, but yeah, there's so much that you read in scripture where, um, I mean, people will like lie and steal to like do something, and then like God blesses that. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that's, it's not because the Bible is supposed to be this like, you know, rule book or this guide as to this is, if I follow, you know, this is how, no, it's just, it's supposed to be a story about God and how God interacts with humans and how God uses, you know, the, the, the most unexpected people to, you know, bring about God's purposes. And I mean, there's just so many good things in there Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we make it into this, you know, this simplistic thing. And so again, going back to that reconstruction for me has been understanding the gray and the nuance and um, just the richness in the stories in the Bible and, um, and how, you know, in, in, in Jewish communities, I mean, p- part of reading Torah was to wrestle with it, to argue about it, to yeah, come to five different sure. definitions. I mean, that's why you had so many rabbis and people would follow them because, hey, I like what that rabbi says. I'm going to follow him. Hey, I like what that rabbi, you know. Right, right. So I think that um, we can reconstruct and we can see Christianity and the Bible, or we can see the Bible. I'm not going to say Christianity. But we can see the Bible as, as liberating, <laughs> liberative, mm-hmm. if um, we're willing to wrestle with the, the nuances and the gray areas of it and, um, and just see it for what it is. And that's a diverse, um, I think, inspiring inspired text yeah and i so i've had a a very interesting relationship with the bible over the last several years because as you begin to learn how it was put together certainly the protestant bible like you go okay so you chose to leave that out and put this in you're not even sure if paul actually wrote that and like (laughs) there's this other all of these things and, and like you know you've got this book was edited to reflect this and all these other things. Um, for me, it made it not like I didn't want to read the Bible anymore, but it certainly made me have to find other pillars for my faith, that, that it couldn't right. just be the Bible because it's not infallible. And it is, it is not right. without like human like interaction and human beings being a part of what, what happened with it. So like you, you seem to have a real love for the Bible, for scriptures. Um, did you ever have any sort of like crisis when like you, you know, for instance, when you, when you found out about the book of Maccabees and how instrumental that is to, um, to, to Hanukkah and Christmas and, and, and everything else that like, that goes in that almost goes into the New Testament. You don't have a lot of this stuff without the book of Maccabees, but it's not a book that most Protestants would have read, you know? So like, right. you, did you ever have a crisis of your faith as you started to like, or not, not your faith, but like any sort of crisis about the Bible as you started to learn these things that you don't learn in Sunday school or in church? Yeah. Well, um, I, 
I actually didn't only because, so I had a, I did have a crisis of just faith. (laughs) Um, um, but (laughs) as far as the Bible, I think because for me, um, so when I first realized that I wasn't, um, you know, it started for me with, uh, egalitarian complementarian right mm. well i used to be i used to believe that women you know had to be submissive to their husbands or to men or you know women couldn't teach all that and i generally believe this like i internalized my own oppression <laughs> but um <laughs> like i you know i was all about it and so for me you know once i started um reading other interpretations and reading other thoughts of what people had on text and once i started reading that i i remember sitting down and i started like a research paper, literally like my own research paper. Nobody asked me to do it on, you know, Genesis and, you know, the first few, few chapters of Genesis and what, like how we can read that as non-oppressive for women, right? How we can read that where it's not like, oh, you know, women, what is help, you know, helper, just the, the basic stuff. Like what does helper mean? And all these things. <laughs> yeah. And for me, actually digging into it and actually studying it and actually reading what um experts other that are not um you know in the quote-unquote complementary camp whatever mm-hmm. what other experts are saying that to me was like whoa 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 wait a minute like it, it was uncovering or opening an entire treasure chest of things and hmm. and it was beautiful and it was powerful for me and so being able to continue that and being able to see, man, what is, you know, what is a specific reading of this? Like I'm currently taking a, a Jesus in the kingdom of God class and we're reading Brian Blount's um, commentary on it. And he's an African-American man. Mm. And he, mm. you know, connects so much of the ethics, New Testament ethics. And he brings it always, he always brings it back to slavery and he always brings wow. it back. You know, how can we make sense of New Testament ethics in, in light of slavery? Mm. And so the, reading, you know, people like Brian Blount or reading, you know, there's a, a one of my favorite Old Testament um, scholars. She She's a, a Chinese woman. Her name is Gail Yi. Mm. And so reading, you know, how she reads through, you know, this as a Chinese woman. And that to me is so liberating. And so it was more so that I didn't, I was never angry at the Bible. I was angry at the people who told yeah. me that the Bible yeah. can only be read this way. Um, and so yeah. I think that was more so my crisis of faith. I think I, I felt betrayed and I felt hurt. And mm. I felt like, how could you not tell me that this was there? How could you not tell me that, you know, there are millions or maybe not millions, but hundreds of thousands of ways of it, sure. understanding this? Yeah. So it was more so, yeah, I just felt more so betrayed. And I think that that's a lot of what deconstruction is that, that from the conversations that I've had is that people feel so betrayed by people that they trusted, that mm-hmm. they thought, you know, hey, I entrusted my faith to you as my pastor or as my spiritual leader, you know, and and there's so much that you withheld from me. Now, I, I'm perhaps, you know, and this is me trying to be gracious, but perhaps, you know, they didn't know that either. And again, that just goes back to this generational yeah. thing of yeah. like, well, maybe these people didn't know. And then they're, you know, so, and I think that that's why we have to just kind of keep going backwards, right? Yeah. Like get to the root of like, where did this start? And let's, let's decolonize, decolonize and then let's reconstruct that. Mm. Um, mm. So yeah, so it was more so a, a, a crisis of of the church of I've, like I said, felt betrayed, felt hurt. Um, and I was sad. I was just very sad and angry actually. So I'm an Enneagram eight and I, hmm. I experienced a lot of anger all the okay. time. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's like my main emotion. Is that I'm just always pissed <laughs> off. So, <laughs> 
So I had to, you know, and I was just telling a friend this last night, but it's like my journey has been like being pissed off about something and then, you know, kind of getting over and then being pissed off again about nothing and then getting over and then, you know, forgiving and then, you know, all of that. But anyway, so for me, the Bible, I was never angry at it. I was angry at those who told me or who didn't tell me or who told me um, that it was a certain way. Yeah, you just really named a lot for me because I think that's where I've been also. I have a strong eight wing. I, I still maintain that okay. I'm seven. I think I'm probably more like a seven and a half, <laughs> you know, if that's such a thing in the yeah. Instagram, because <laughs> I am often angry. You know, in fact, my wife last night was, we were talking about, uh, we were talking about a church that had uh, a white pastor do a message on race and diversity. And then their post show had two black people doing the like, Oh, wasn't that a great message? And isn't it great that we're all, you know, Christians first before our race? Yeah. And she said, she said to me before she told me, she said, I'm going to tell you this and and hopefully you don't get mad. And I instantly was like, I'm driving down the freeway and my hands are flaming in the air. I'm just like, (laughs) I'm just so I'm, I'm instantly mad because I think you're right about the idea that I'm not, I have no issues with God or the Bible or Jesus. Um, or, or even the writers of scripture, even the folks who edited the scriptures, or even the folks who right. felt like, you know, in the name of Paul, that they should write some books in his name. I have no issue with right, those right. folks, because I guess for me, I, I sort of feel like their intentions weren't to oppress. But I, I do get upset with the, as you've said so many times, the passing down of an oppressive way of understanding right. the scriptures and God and the Bible and Thanks for Nate. Like that really is helpful to hear that a someone else feels that, but b to have like some some language for like, oh, this is why I'm upset about that. This is why this pisses me off. So I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I'm just I'm really like really really loving the things that you're saying and enjoying the conversation. So if we could talk just a little bit longer, because you you kind of um you you talked about the complementarian egalitarian thing, and. It wasn't too long ago that John MacArthur was, you know, talking about I think Beth Moore and 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 all of this, you know, ridiculous sort of um, reductionist way of talking about women and, lead, and and leaders and women and of faith who are leading the way. Um, did you? And you said you were an eight, so I, I imagine that you were angry about that. But like, what? <laughs> <laughs> what like has? Um, what what have have been your thoughts on this whole issue of women as leaders? Um, is it something that you're just like, I'm not going to fight with people over this. I'm just going to lead. Or is it something that you think, no, I actually want to help deconstruct this for young women that are coming up after me? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so I, I actually go back and forth about that. <laughs> there are times when I'm like, y'all, like on Twitter, you know, when when one person says something really stupid and then it goes viral because everyone's retweeting it and talking about how stupid it is. <laughs> like I'm just like, guys, like you know, just 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 drop it. You know? It's like this food tastes terrible. You gotta try sure, it. You yes, gotta try it. This is awful. You gotta try it. That's what we do with the retweeting. Yeah. Like, oh, this is this this sucks. You have to try it, bro. You have to. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it is. And so, I do go back and forth because I will say I I I have done that. Like, I'm not like I've never done that. You know, I have. Yeah. Um, but I I do 
and so here's the thing. So I, I always say this about, and I say this about people of color, and I and I think this in some ways about women, that not everybody, not all people of color are called to be bridge builders, right? Hmm. Like not all people of color, some some people of color can or are called to to be a bridge builder between, you know, very white communities or white theology and whatever. Um, but some people aren't. And and I think, you know, and that's fine. And I think the same thing sort of in the same way when it comes to women, you know, some people are in the trenches and they're called to fight about that and to constantly live their lives. I mean, I know women who are, um, you know, who are egalitarian, but are in very complementarian spaces and they mm. feel like that's their, you know, their calling is mm. to fight from the inside. Mm. Um, and then there are people who are like, yeah, no, I can't do this. And so I think I, I, I'm a little bit of both. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, my hands up on the on the I I can't do that. So that that's the camp I fall in for sure. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, and and so I think in in some ways that I there's a little bit of both in that. And so you talked about earlier how you know I can be gracious with with my old beliefs, and I think that's because I'm still very much tied to many people, um, mm-hmm. who okay. who have different beliefs than me. Okay. You know, I have relationships with a lot of people who have um, these sort of beliefs than me um, because my sort of quote unquote exodus from um, fundamentalism was very um, abrupt, very loud. Um, you mm. know, I I, mm. I was very loud about it. I wrote about it. I was, you know, so I think um, in my doing that, like I sort of just kind of opened the door for that and and whatever, you know, things, life happens the way that it yeah. happens. Yeah. Um, so I have those connections and, and I'm okay um, with with helping some people through it, if they're already, if they're interested on the journey, if they're on the journey, I'm okay with, Hey, let's talk about this. Like, let me help walk you through this journey. As long as it's not going to, you know, continue to, um, quote unquote, trigger me or, you know, completely drive me crazy or, you know, (laughs) uh, and I have a lot, you know, I recently had a pastor who, he, you know, him, him and I used to be friends. And then, you know, of course he's since disagreed with my theology. And so he messaged me, he's like, you know, I, I see a lot of your stuff and, and I always have questions. Like, is it okay if I ask you questions? And I said, sure. As long as one, you're not a lazy exegete, meaning that you've read <laughs> what you're going to ask me, <laughs> right? Like you're not just going to come to me and expect me to educate you when you've actually done some reading. Right. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and two, as long as you're not a jerk. Right. right. And we had a great conversation, you know, I mean, obviously we agreed to disagree, whatever, whatever, that's fine. But, um, so as far as when it comes to women, um, I, I do think that as a biblical scholar, I do consider myself a biblical scholar and as a biblical scholar, I think it's important that I, um, I mean, that's what I'm committed to, right? I'm committed to teaching the Bible. I'm committed to talking about the Bible. So I will continue to do that when it comes to texts that have been completely misused and misread and that have not been holistically read or holistically understood. That's my, my, and I'm okay with, with taking that job of, of, talking about the text. Mm. Now, if you just have atrociously sexist and misogynistic views, period, and like completely disconnected from the Bible and you just want to, you know, then no, I'm not going to deal with that. Right. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, sure. Like there's a tweet going around right now of a guy saying like, don't marry a woman that has a kid. I don't know if you saw it, like a single mom. Yeah. And everyone's retweeting this. told me about that yesterday. She, told, she just mentioned that yesterday. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone's been talking about it. Like, you know, don't marry, you know, he's a pastor whatever. And something like that. I'm just like, oh my gosh, this guy, this guy clearly is just, Kat, <laughs> you know, I, why are I, we I hate people like that. And that's the worst thing to say, <laughs> but I hate this guy. I don't even know him, but like, I, I just, right. 
And it's it's I've I have allowed myself for the last like six months, and maybe God will swoop in and redeem my heart again. But I have allowed myself to say, <laughs> I hate that guy. <laughs> like I just, I, it's where I am right now. Y'all pray for me. So. That's a totally eight thing. I totally get it. <laughs> I do that a lot. I'm like, I literally hate that. <laughs> but um, but yeah. So I think it's it's just it just depends like what you have the energy for and and what you essentially what you feel like your calling is in this. Um, I literally this week in my in my MLK ethics class, like we're talking about that. Like, what is the role of a prophet, and mm. you know what kind of what, what did you know what did ml what did mlk sign up for what was he called to mm. um you know because it was it is that the role of a of a prophet is there is marginalization and there is pain and there is um loneliness and there is you know um and it's uncomfortable and so all those things i'm, I'm not calling myself a prophet i'm just saying that these are all yeah, things yeah. to think about right um, absolutely so and and talking about that redemptive anger actually that reminded me so i i recently listened to this podcast with Ruby Sales, civil rights activist, and she was talking about this idea of redemptive anger. And I'm trying to adopt this um, because, you know, like we keep talking about, like we get angry all the time. And, but she has this idea, like anytime that we talk about something that makes us angry, you know, replace um, something that we love in its place. And so, mm. you know, I hate when the Bible is taken out of context, but I love when it's read holistically and responsibly. So here are ways to read it holistically and responsibly, you know, and it's okay to name what you hate, yeah, right? It's okay sure. to name that injustice is atrocious and it's okay to name that injustice like pisses you off. Mm -hmm. um, but I really loved what, what she said that, you know, but replace it with something that you love yeah. and let's together as a community rebuild by, by focusing on the things that we love and, and rebuilding from that. And I thought that mm. that was such a I love good that. I love that. praxis. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of been my, um, when it comes to women in the Bible, or when it comes to, um, you know, uh, oppressive readings of scripture to, to name that that is wrong. And it's, it's, and that I hate it <laughs> and that it <laughs> angers me. But then what do I love in its place? Well, I love when the Bible is, mm. is, is when, we're read through the lens of Jesus, who was a liber, you know, a liberating figure and 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 a liberating God. And so, and I love when we talk about that. So let's talk about that, right? Um, so anyway, that that is sort of my my response to that. That's so great, Kat. You just became one of my favorite Bible scholars today. So, like, I'm I'm really <laughs> glad that that you came on the podcast. Now, listen, before we wrap, you uh, have a lot going on. I know you get a double major, but is there anything else? I know you're you're writing a book right now. Um, so yes, I tell am. us a little bit about that and, and then tell us how we can all, all those of us who aren't connected to you, stay connected to you and your work and what you're saying. Yeah. So I haven't, um, spoken too much publicly about the book that I'm writing. Um, and you know, just logistical right. stuff about exactly. that. Um, but I will be talking about that soon on social media. Um, and it is about, um, the idea of abuelitas and abuelita theology. And, and, um, it is about, um, the idea of ancestors and generational, you know, mm. trauma and, and generational grief and generational rebuilding and healing. And so I'm really excited about that. And so, like I said, I, I will be talking more about it on social media soon. Um, but, but yeah, so besides that, um, I am just, I mean, that's really the main thing <laughs> that I'm working right, yeah, on. I, I um, know that takes a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, sorry, you asked to also share. Yeah, um, just your, just what, people yeah, what, how people can stay in touch with you, like your social media handles right. or 
website. I know you're also a podcaster. You've got a podcast. So you just yeah. tell people about, about all of those ways that they can hear more from you. Totally. So yes, my podcast is called The Protagonistas and it is um, a podcast, you know, I, obviously I host it and it's, I specifically interview uh, women of color. And so, um, yeah, you, if you want to tune into that, it's on Spotify, on iTunes, and I just have conversations like this uh, with women of color um, doing really, really cool things, um, whether it's black the theologians, womanist theologians, um, uh, you know, I mean, Latina scholars, Latina writers, um, so it's really exciting. Uh, so if you want to check out that, and then you can follow me on Twitter. Um, my handle is at Kat Armis. Um, sorry, Kat underscore Armis. Uh, and same thing for my Instagram handle. So if you want to follow me on that. Um, I'm not as, as fun on Instagram. I'm still trying to learn how to how to be artistic and creative on that. But <laughs> but I'm, I think I'm a lot more fun on Twitter. So if you want to follow me on there. Well, Kat, thanks so much for being here. This was like such a great conversation and really helpful for me in a lot of ways, especially that last part about um, replacing the thing that I hate with something that I love, you know, being naming those things out loud that I hate this, but I love this. And, and I like that idea of reconstruction, that reconstructing around love and, and, and the, the good things that our ancestors passed down. So Thanks so much for all of that. Everything you've said to us has been such a gift and uh, and I'm honored to have had this conversation with you. So thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Corey. It was wonderful, wonderful. Thank you for um, all those great questions. And yeah, I look forward to connecting with you more. For sure. Yeah, so I wasn't lying when I said Kat just became one of my favorite Bible scholars. That was so great to hear um, the things she was saying about the Bible and about ancestors and faith and it feels like a very responsible way of handling one's religious beliefs and I just was so I so appreciated that about Kat and and I and I really like kind of learned and and grew in some ways that were important so hopefully you did also it's always great when you can have conversations like that that have that kind of an impact on you so I want to thank Kat for coming on the program thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I'd like to thank Comfort Fit for the music. This song you're hearing, again, is called Sorry. And I want to encourage you to go check out the show notes. If you haven't shared this podcast with anybody, what in the world is wrong with you? Um, should have been done that, but that's fine if you haven't. I, I don't want, I'm not going to be um, aggressive towards you verbally right now, even though I just was. Just share the podcast with somebody. And if you haven't rated or reviewed it, I'd also love for you to do that. But if you don't do any of those things, I would just like to thank you for continuing to contend for a better world with us, one conversation at a time.